This is the Down East EM Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Down East EM Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. As we kind of, we're going to talk about something a little different. It's a little bit lighter, if I could say that. Uh, you know, we're all in a in the throes of a pandemic. We're recording here in February, uh, twenty twenty one, and having a light topic, I think, is going to be good for the soul. So we're going to talk a little bit cerebral here. We're going to talk about some elements of medicine and academia. We're going to dive into the idea of academic medicine for the community doctor. Now, you might be saying to yourself, Jason, what are you talking about? Academic community doctor? You're basically, isn't that an oxymoron, kind of like freezer burn or jumbo shrimp? Well, it turns out really no. There's a lot of elements of academia that are available to the community medicine doc, and we're going to dive into that today. So to get into that topic, we're going to be sitting down with our resident expert, Salim Razai, of the Rebel EM blog and podcast. Salim, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, man, thanks for having me on, Jason. And yeah, there's a there's a ton of overlap as we'll get into this uh, between academics and community medicine. I think people put them into two different buckets, but the reality is, is there's a huge overlap between the two. What's really different is just the practice setting and the structure in which those two kind of buildings are set up, but there's lots and lots of overlap to get into. Perfect. Yeah, I don't want to put the cart before the horse. I want to just make sure for those who have been living under rock, Salim, just give us a you know quick background on you and what you do. Yeah, so I did a emergency medicine, internal medicine, combined residency at East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. I finished in 2010, and I actually practiced in an academic institution in San Antonio, Texas, and I helped start the emergency medicine residency program there as one of the APDs. I split my time, 70% emergency medicine, 30% hospitalist medicine. In the last four and a half, five years, I've now moved out to the community where I solely practice emergency medicine. And then with this pandemic, interestingly, um, with so many COVID patients, I'm actually now splitting my time between emergency medicine and ICU. So I'm actually working in the ICUs of our community shop. I work for a democratic community group called Greater San Antonio Emergency Physicians, um, and it has been quite the transition as we'll get into uh, in this podcast. Perfect. I think that that background and that information is great for our listeners to frame. You know, people sometimes go academic community, community academic, or just kind of split, which is I'm maybe in that camp, but knowing your background, where you come from is going to be helpful for people. So, Salim, let's talk academics for the community doc. I think it's worth trying to structuralize this and what better than the old standard who, what, when, where, why structure or architecture for this. Sound good to you? Yeah, it sounds great. Let's do it. All right. I'm going to give myself a softball here and start with the who. So again, we're talking emergency medicine and I think we're talking the emergency medicine provider. And I think off the bat, I want to point out that we're talking about providers. Our audience, you guys are mostly physicians, but provider is important to recognize because this is not only available to us as physicians, but I know in my department, many of our APPs, which are uh, physician's assistants, they too have gotten involved in education, academics, and that's really improved and enhanced their time in our department. And I would just add that there's also other people in in the department that are just as important that are maybe in a different time point in their 
aspirations of becoming a physician or becoming an APP. For example, there's nurses that are going to school to become family nurse practitioners. There's techs that are just trying to work a job to put food on the table, but have aspirations of becoming a physician or an APP. There's scribes uh, at some institutions as well. And so I think that you know, this, oh, I have a resident, I don't have a resident, that part is is less important as much as the team you have around you. We're all at just different points in our timeline of where we're going to end up in medicine. That's very well stated. And I think that's a, a good perspective to broaden ourselves out outside of our own little niche, our little uh, biosphere to all the other people that are learning in our department. Very good. All right, so let's hit a little bit of the meteor ones. The what? Salim. For you, what comes to mind when you think about the academics for the community provider? I mean, there's so many what's. I mean, I, I don't even know where to start. I mean, there's, I have pre-med students that come and shadow with me, right? So undergrad students, that's number one. There's mentorship, right? Junior staff, uh, residents coming and doing their community rotations, med students at surrounding medical schools. APPs, and we actually have an emergency medicine APP residency program that are working with us. There's community medicine rotations, right? So we have people coming from academics to come to the community to see what it's like in the community versus academics. There's academic society committees, right? Pick your topic and there's a committee. There's hospital committees that people might want to get involved in. Maybe people have a fire under their backside for presenting. So a passion for teaching. And so there's opportunity at regional, national, and international conferences. There's the um, administrative component, right? People want to become medical directors, or maybe you want to be the champion for sepsis, stroke, or STEMI, or any number of things that we have to work with other disciplines. And so this is why I started off by saying people kind of put these two things into separate buckets, but there's huge overlap it's just the structure in which those facilities are set up. That's fantastic. And what I recognize as you were describing that is you can think of this in that spectrum. And, and for me, it makes sense to start early in our training, early in our fervor, our interest in medicine, and move all the way up. And all of those represent opportunities for academia. So as you said, the undergraduate student who's kind of dipping their toes in the idea of medicine doing a uh, shadow or a rotation with you, the medical student, the resident, the nurse practitioner. And as you mentioned, there's techs and others that are going to be doing that type of work. And you can go all the way from a shadow situation. You can do a local community medicine rotation. You can have a recurring rotation for your medical students and for your residents. So all of those from the spectrum of a uh, pre-med student all the way through a resident is available there. And as you mentioned, that's just in sort of the brick and mortar experience of doing academia, of having someone in your department and learning from you. But you can also, as you were saying, get involved in your medical societies, in your hospital committees, doing scientific assemblies, teaching and things in that regard. The breadth of it is is really vast. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I joke about this often, but um, I went into academics to teach. And since I've come to the community, I actually teach more than I did in academics. Oh yeah, uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I guess it does. I mean, there as as you get into that space, it's not filled with so many others that are also grabbing for some of that work. So if you're interested in academics in a community space, you may have more room, and as you're saying, more opportunity 
to teach and learn and provide that academia than you would elsewhere. I mean, listen, I don't have interview season. Um, I don't have the, you know, core curriculum committee meetings that I have to do. Uh, all the administrative red tape that comes along with being in academics. And I'm not trying to get people to sway out of academics. I'm just saying that that's all time. And that time takes away from whatever it is that you want to do. And when you come out to the community, all of a sudden, all that stuff goes away. So you have all this extra time to focus on what it is that you're passionate about. And for me, that's teaching. That's perfect. I think that was very well said. And it's also kind of a nice segue into the next W, right? So the when. And I think it's important for us to mention, um, you know, this is not my idea, but wiser men and women than me has said the key to having a long and fruitful and successful career is diversity and a sensation of purpose. So if people hear all these activities that they can get involved in, you may be overwhelmed by the idea of, oh, I don't have the uh, time to do so. But as you were mentioning, Salim, we as uh, community doctors may indeed have more time to commit ourselves to these types of endeavors. And as an aside and as a personal experience, you know, I, as a uh, community doc, knew that there was going to be a uh, rotation, a community medicine rotation for our the residents in the area coming in. And I adamantly kind of had some fervor to get involved in that and spearhead that part of it. And in doing so, I was able to allocate for myself some dedicated time for that type of work. Now, the purpose is not necessarily to try to decrease the amount of time you're working clinically. It's to supplement what we do in the department. So there is the time available for us. And if possible, it's uh, worth mentioning that you may be able to carve out a little bit of dedicated time to pursue such an endeavor. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I did when I came out into the community. I, I carved out a unique little niche for myself. Um, as I was transitioning from academics into the community, my biggest fear was just falling behind on current evidence because all I was going to do was punch in and punch out and take care of a bunch of patients and then come home. Um, but I actually asked my group um, as I was interviewing, you know, how do you guys keep up with current evidence? And they didn't have a solid answer. And so I found that to be an opportunity to carve out a position for myself. And so I'm the director of clinical education for my group. This got me about a 20% buy down on my clinical shifts, but it has really kind of opened up a lot of other doors for me. So it wasn't so much that I wanted to reduce my clinical hours. It's just, I, did, I was so fearful that I was going to fall behind and become one of those people that, well, I'm practicing like this because that's the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. And so not only do I help keep the group up to date on current evidence, but I also get to collaborate with other specialties within the hospital system and medical directors. And we really try and find an EBM, evidence-based medicine solution to problems or issues that come up. And so that was the second piece that I didn't even imagine was going to become a thing. But as the director of clinical education, I get to help in those decisions because I'm reading the evidence all the time. And you know, a lot of people talk about this concept of work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't like that term um, because it's not a balance. It's, it's about setting priorities for yourself in your life and then scheduling blocks of time to do work around those priorities. So it's really not a balance. It's about being efficient and organized so that things don't bleed over into other parts of your life. And so that was the nice thing about 
decreasing my clinical hours by 20% is that 20% of extra time goes into being the director of clinical education and helping the medical directors and keeping the group up to date. But I also have my own priorities in my life, like my family, my friends, my own health, my diet. And those are kind of like my bigger priorities. And so everything else that I do that involves work rotates around those priorities. And I think that's something a lot of us don't do well is establish what our big priorities are, the big rocks in our life, and make everything else revolve around those. Salim, that was beautiful. That was like sage wisdom, I think, there. The outside of the topic of academics and medicine, that was just beautiful life of advice from Salim right there. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm still figuring it out like everyone else, man. <laughs> no, but it, you sound like you know what you're talking about, and that is important. Um, so I, I want to kind of move on to the where, I suppose, and, and it's going to take us a little bit back to the what, because as we talked already, we talked about having different people rotating and learning in our department. We talked about getting involved in you know, the hospital administration and the committees there or your scientific committees or speaking at a, at a medical school or elsewhere. But we haven't talked about foam. And I would be remiss to not bring up the topic of free open access medical education with you, sir. So the where in that topic, you know, it's, we recognize that in our emergency department, that's the default, that's the go-to, but it's also important to recognize that getting involved in academics, particularly in the foam movement, doesn't require a lot else. And it can be done outside of your brick and mortar shop. You just need a laptop, a blue Yeti or other mic, an audio editor. So with you, Salim, here as one of the foremost content experts and producers of foam content, I wanted to ask you, how did you get your start in this area? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, I think you hit the nail on the head. In, in today's world, anywhere you have a laptop, a microphone, and a Wi-Fi signal, you can do academic work, regardless of what physical structure you're in. So there's no set location. And that's one of the beauties of foam. Um, at least for me, it is, is that I can be at a conference, I can be traveling somewhere, and anywhere I have my laptop, I can do work. Um, and so that's really great. You also have to make sure that it doesn't bleed into your free time and your family time. But that's one of the nice things about today's, um, you know, technology and COVID and doing things online. And so I think that's one of the nice things. So really, really true statement there. As for my start, um, I started with Michelle Lynn of Academic Life and Emergency Medicine, or ALIUM, as she likes to call it. She reached out to me when I was a junior faculty and asked if I'd be interested in writing for her. And so I, I said, yeah, because I, I looked up to Michelle when I was a resident, and I was just completely humbled and honored that, that she asked me to do it. And she's just been an amazing mentor and friend who helped get me started. She showed me the ropes. She showed me the inner workings and what's happening on the back end of the sites. And after a couple of years of working under Michelle and with Michelle, I decided that I wanted to branch out and kind of do my own thing, which is where I started Rebel EM eight years ago. I can't believe it's already been eight years, but we're approaching nine years now. And the rest is just history. I mean, I just, I found something that I was passionate about, something that I wanted to invest my time in. And when you put those two things together, it just leads to very powerful things that you can accomplish. That's fantastic. I actually didn't know that backstory for you. So that's that's cool to hear about Michelle's kind of uh, start for you and then you're, you're branching out and being so successful. So congratulations. That's a, that's a very cool story. 
So I think the the point there though is that you can do this within your brick and mortar shop, but you can do it outside of that. And and Swim again cautions and makes us aware that we need to keep our boulders, the things that are the most valuable for ourselves in our lives, and keep those as our focus. But bringing work into the home environment is possible. You can work from a home office easily on foam materials. And that's kind of my approach to this. And that's where my interest in development of creating some of this content came from. I found that like you were doing, Slim, you were being kept up on the literature. You're very, you know, uh, up to date in terms of your practice and things. And you took that and applied that to your hospital system. You brought the rest of your colleagues up to snuff with you and you carved out some time for yourself to do so. I found when I didn't know on a topic, I would research it, read about it. And because I had such a passion for learning from people like you and Swami and Mel and Michelle, I wanted to reiterate that to create that into something that others could learn from as well. So it actually can work out to not be that much additional sweat equity on your part. You're doing some of the work you should be doing as a clinician anyway, getting yourself or keeping yourself up to date. And then you can apply that and, and increase the learning, the knowledge, and the in the end, actually, the quality of care provided to patients for others, which is pretty cool, I think. And, and I think people make this assumption that because I run this website and this podcast and this blog, that I'm continually on this 24-7, 365, and that couldn't be further from the truth, actually. Um, I chunk blocks of time for myself, two to four hour blocks that I'll sit down and work on things on the website um, or record a podcast, much like we're doing right now. And I have days that I don't even touch it. And so, you know, in a given week, I maybe spend these chunks, maybe three or four times in a week. So that leaves me three or four other days that I'm not working on it. And again, it's just setting those boundaries for yourself. So making sure it doesn't bleed into the rest of your life. And so for people who say like, well, that's a lot of work. And I don't know if I can do that with everything I have going on. It is possible. But again, you just have to be organized and you have to decide what is important to you in your life and have everything else revolve around that. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's perfectly true. And and again, it can be what it should be what you're doing already in some regards in terms of having a, a tough case, learning about it, reading about it, getting yourself really up to snuff on that topic, and then turning that into content that others can inge- uh, digest and enjoy. Really, you know, there's not a huge barrier to doing so. So allocating the time that you would or could use for this uh, process, keeping it separate from home life, and working it into what you do already as a practitioner. We're lifelong learners, right? You can do that and educate the masses as well. I mean, it's always about finding synchrony in the things that you're doing. Um, I find a lot of people dive into a lot of different projects that actually have nothing to do with each other. And each one of those takes time. But if you can find some synchrony in the things that you say yes to, you actually cut down time on some of the other projects because you've already done some work in something else that you've been working on. So I, I think it's just important, you know, early on to say yes to a lot of things. But as you get further along, you really need to start trying to hone that down and mm-hmm. trying to find that niche for yourself and not just kind of be doing a bunch of random things that take a lot of time. Totally. Totally. I feel like it's harder to say no, but it's important to know when to say no, as as you're saying here. So uh, I want to keep this relatively quick and digestible for our listeners. And we got one more W, the most important, the why, my favorite one. 
So Celine, tell us why you do academics in addition to your clinical work. And if I might be bold enough to ask you why you think others should do it as well. I mean, this one is easy for me. I mean, of all the questions you've asked me, I think this is the easiest one. So emergency medicine, amazing specialty. I'm so happy I picked it. I'm so glad I went into it. I mean, we're literally the jack of all trades and the masters of undifferentiated patients. I mean, what more could you ask for? I mean, we get thrown anything and everything at us and we're ready to pounce on it and take care of it as best we can. But it's also a hard job, right? Mm -hmm. And um, shifts like flip-flop, we have day shifts, we have evening shifts, we have mid shifts. There are days that are hard and the only way they wouldn't be hard is if you just didn't show up to work. And there's sometimes there's just cases we can't forget. And so you know, it can be tough to just punch in and punch out. And so really you need to find a reason to really want to go back to the next shift. And so this is why I find academics in the community to be so important for the community physician. And there's really four messages here that is for the why that I'd want people to take away from this podcast. Number one is it gives you an outlet to keep up with the latest and greatest, which translates into just being a better doc, right? Mm -hmm. It allows you to form a network of like-minded friends that don't even live in the same place you do. Because you're online, you're constantly networking. And some of the best friends I have, I only see once a year or maybe twice a year. But I have such deep conversations with them that I would have otherwise not had. And this is not just on the national level. This is even on the international level because of all the things that I do online. It's opened up opportunities for me that I would have never imagined speaking at international conferences and national conferences, publications in journals, collaborations on projects. It just kind of gets you excited about going to work and getting to apply the things that you're kind of keeping up with. And the final thing I would say is it gives us a voice. Instead of complaining, it allows us to come up with solutions that make pragmatic sense. And so instead of being bitter about the job you're working at, you get to come up with solutions to make the job and the workplace a better place for everyone. Those are some very well articulated answers as to why. Thank you for that. That was, that was again, insightful to hear. And I, I have sort of the ideas as I, I asked you that. I'm like, these are the things I would answer that with, but they are not as well articulated as you, sir. So thank you for your response there. Of course. <laughs> I think um, one thing that I would add, and this is more almost from an operations side that I've recognized with our group was when we instituted having the community medicine rotation for the residency in our area, what we've realized is it actually is a really nice recruitment and retention tool. And to that, you know, people are interested in working with residents to keeping themselves sharp to, to being involved in education in that way. But you have to ask yourself why that is. And I think you answered that. The why does having community medicine with an academic twist or flavor, why does that serve as a recruitment and retention tool for your staff? All the things that you mentioned. And I think in the end with that in summation, I really do think having that passion, having that um, drive to improve the care and quality of your patients, but also the next generation of providers it can lead to a decreased sensation of burnout. I really wholeheartedly believe that, and I think you do as well. So recognizing that this is not just additional work, but if it's a passion you have, it can improve the quality of your relationship with your work, your sensation of 
self-worth when you come in and punch in and punch out and really decrease that burnout risk, which we emergency providers are at such a high risk for. I think anytime you incorporate passion into anything that you do, your worst day will always be better because of it. And even the hardest days are better because of all the extra things that I'm doing that otherwise you have to bring that home. You have to carry that on your shoulders and that bleeds into your personal life. And so I think it's important to have these outlets uh, of academics or whatever you want it to be to bring that, to be able to bring that back to work, I think just makes the job so much better. Fantastic. Well, I think that that's as much as I can sort of think to ask you about. I appreciate your insight and your thoughts on this. Oftentimes I'll do a summation at the end of a podcast. And I, I think that's valuable in our, you know, how do you deal with sepsis? What's the, the way to uh, address or find a, a posterior circulation stroke? But this is really a, uh, thinking about our work environment, our work-life balance, our passions. And in that way, I'm just going to leave it as it is. I think people got a lot from this. I know I did, and I appreciate being able to pick your brain on that. And Salim, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, I appreciate you reaching out to me. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, everybody who's out there, know you're not alone. And what you do really does matter. And uh, I'm happy to do my part to try and help push others and to keep the specialty moving forward. Fantastic. With that, I'm going to take you up on that then. So if anybody wants to you know, touch base with us or with Salim about the road that they've taken to get involved in academia as a community doc, please reach out to us and we can connect you with Salim or others in the field to help you further advance your passion in uh, the development of your career. Thanks so much, Jason. Thank you. That's all for the Down ECM podcast for now. If you like what you hear, please hop over to iTunes, throw us some stars, give us a review. It really, really helps us. Also, we would love to hear your ideas about how we can make the podcast better, any topics you like to cover, anything that you think would help your listening experience. You can check out more of what we have to offer at our blog, downeastem.org, and you can follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at downeastem. Until next time.